Julie. So uh, what brings you here? Well, I'm, I'm just going to get right to the point. I um, work on a team. Um, um, you know, we work very collaboratively together, but it's easy to see that I'm the best. People come to me for advice all of the time. I support them and everyone listens to what I say as they should. So a promotion came along and of course I thought I was a shoe in I found out today that the promotion went to somebody else, somebody who I help all the time do this, the most menial tasks that she can't do independently. And my boss comes to me and he says to me, you know, I know that you work really hard and your hard work hasn't gone unnoticed, but you just need more tenure with the company. I don't understand that because I am the best. So what's he talking about? Julie, no, I mean, you're losing. You're a loser. You understand that, right? You right now um, are a loser. Okay, forget this illusion of humility and collaboration and righteousness. Oh, you're such a team player. Oh, good for you. Look at where that got you, Julie. Nowhere. This is, yeah, nowhere. Exactly. Okay. Nowhere. True humility is thinking of others less to leave room for yourself to grow into a more superior being. Step okay. Not help them. No, right? no, no. Okay. Julie, we're going to do one thing. This is a big thing. Take notes. Are you okay. writing? Okay. Sabotage. We're going to sabotage the company. I'm talking everyone in the office. Okay. You're going to refuse to help others. You're going to delete people's work. You know, the, the stuff that's in this the cloud. Good. This is good. Yeah. Stuff. All those files, the whatever they put in the Dropbox, you just delete it. Okay. And you blame their incompetence. All right. That's what you have to do. Right. And, and you tell your boss success is spelled J-U-L-I-E. They're nothing without you. Get worked up about this. You Go blow right. your own horn. You are right. They yeah, are And don't nothing. come back here until you're a winner. My rates are going up. And, I, you know, quite frankly, until you get the promotion, I don't even want to see your face. Okay? I'm going to win. I'm going to sabotage. Win. Sabotage. sabotage. Yes. Got it. That's what I like to hear. All right. Take Thank it easy. You. Yep. All right. All right, well, good morning to everyone and welcome to The Well here at STSA, where we are in part three of a series called Relationship Hacks. We are hopefully giving some good advice because there's a lot of ab bad advice out there, as you can see. Once upon a time, there was two boys. And these two young boys were very mischievous, very misbehaved. They like to get into trouble. They like to pull pranks, like do all kinds of naughty things. And everyone in town knew if something naughty happened, blame these kids. They were always the first go-to and nine out of 10 times they were right because it was usually their fault. Well, one day, the mother of these two kids had enough and she's at her wits end. I need to do something about these kids. So she wanted to call someone to help her out. So she called her local priest and she said, priest, I need you to come over and scare the heck out of my kids. So the priest came over and tried to do just that. And the priest was like a tall, intimidating kind of a guy. And he had like a deep kind of a voice. And he wanted to scare these kids and let them know that everything they do, Jesus is watching and Jesus sees them. And Jesus is there wherever they are, and whatever they're doing. And that was his, his goal to try to scare them into to seeing that. So he separates the boys. He says, one boy come with me and the other boy's waiting in his room. 
And he goes to the first boy, who would think the first child was eight years old, and he says to him, do you know where Jesus is? And the little boy was silent. He said, son, do you know where Jesus is? And the little boy again didn't say anything. And he started to get louder and shake his hand. Do you know where Jesus is? Do you know where Jesus is? And then he put his hand on the kid's shoulder. Do you know where Jesus is? And the kid got scared, so scared that he started crying and he ran out of the room and ran back to his own room and hid in the closet. And then the other brother came and said, oh my goodness, what happened? So he finds him and he said, what happened? What happened? What happened? And the younger brother said, we're in big trouble this time. We're in big trouble. And he said, why? And the younger brother said, because the priest can't find Jesus and he's blaming us. Like I said, welcome to part two in our series, Relationship Hacks, where we are talking about four hacks or ways to solve broken relationships. And the reason why we're talking about this is because something that's so intuitive, I put it up on the screen, but it's so intuitive that you already know this. This is our key thought for this series, that starting relationships is easy, fixing them is not. Starting relationships is easy, Fixing them when they're broken is not. And not only, as we've seen over the past couple weeks, not only is repairing a broken relationship hard, but more of a problem is that it's not intuitive. That in fact, we usually go to the very thing that makes it worse, not better. As we talked about the past couple weeks, what we usually end up doing when a relationship goes sour, or a relationship gets awkward, or someone gets hurt, or someone gets offended, or something happens, we usually do the very thing that we hate done to us. We usually do the very thing that when it happens to us, we're like, how could that person do that? And it just pushes us further away. Well, unbeknownst to us, we actually end up doing the same thing. Like we talked about last week. We dig in when we should be opening up. We avoid subjects that we should actually be approaching those subjects and we end up trying to convince the other person when we should be trying to connect with the other person. It doesn't work when people do it to us, and it certainly doesn't work when we try to do it to others. And what happens when you go to one of these wrong tools, one of these wrong solutions, is you end up, end, end up making excuses as to why it didn't work. You say things like, well, you know what? I, I don't care. Someone says, you know, what happened to your relationship between you and your mom or between you and your sister? Or what happened with that friend? You say, I, I don't even care. I, I don't care. Uh, whatever. I don't care. And I got news for you. Anytime someone comes and tells me a relationship, I don't care. I know one thing for a fact that they actually care very much because we don't say, I don't care about things that we actually don't care about. We only say that because we actually really care. And what we're actually saying, when we say, I don't care. What we're saying is, I don't know what to do. Uh, I'm at my wits end. I feel powerless. Like I tried and I tried and I tried and I don't know. So you know what? I don't care. Whatever. And let me tell you the danger. If you're in an I don't care mood right now, let me tell you the danger that I see and everyone else around you probably sees it too, but maybe you're the only one who doesn't is that when you say, I don't care, when you have a relationship issue here and there's something between you and a parent, you and a spouse, you and a child, you and a friend, when there's something there and it's unresolved and you're like, I don't care. It doesn't actually go away. All that happens is you carry it into other relationships. That's what happens. So I've told you this many, many times, any series on marriage, I always talk about. Unresolved conflict between you and a parent usually ends up, who ends up eating the brunt of it is your spouse. Okay, if there's something between me and my mom, 
my wife is going to feel the effects of that. Okay, if there's something between me, maybe it could be a coworker. okay, something at the office that I'm carrying, my kids are going to feel the brunt of that. So I don't care is not a good solution. I'm telling you because I care about you, it's not a good solution. Next thing we might say, you might say, okay, well, I already tried. And that's the, you know, the arms crossed that like, you know, I did my part. I already tried. If they want to come talk to me, here I am. But you know what? I did my best and nothing I could do. We talked about in the first week how our goal in this series, our goal with relationships is no regrets. Remember that? We said our two goals are no regrets and strive for reconciliation. This attitude has a high likelihood of regret because I already tried. I did my part. The problem with it is we're not dealing with a broken phone or a broken television or a broken printer. We are dealing with a broken relationship. And relationship is two people who are constantly changing and evolving. So I tried with the printer, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I tried with a person, it doesn't work, but six months from now, things will be different. You will be different, they will be different, circumstances will be different. The situation is constantly evolving. So this idea, well, I tried, here I am and they better, that, that's, it, that, that's the situation that's gonna lead to regret. What we always wanna make sure that we're doing is as the situation evolves, that we are always striving for reconciliation. The third thing that we say, which we're going to talk about today, is we say, it wasn't my fault. So I don't care. I already tried. And then when all else fails, it wasn't my fault. Whatever happened to that friend you guys used to be so close? Oh, it wasn't my fault. Whatever happened with your sister? Well, let me tell you what she did. What happened to that guy? You were like the best man in his wedding. What happened? And then the narrative of how their fault and they're to blame and they're bad starts kicking in. And that's why what we wanna talk about today is we wanna talk about everybody's least favorite subject. We wanna talk about the blame pie. You guys know what the blame pie is, right? The blame pie, well actually before I tell you, I gotta, I'm gonna do like a confession before I talk about blame pie. The confession is I was preparing the, today's message. I have two feelings inside me right now as I'm preparing to preach this message. One is I am extremely excited. Two is I am extremely terrified. And the reason why I am excited first is because I know that what we're gonna share here today about blame pie and what we're gonna talk about about accepting fault, I know without a shadow of a doubt, the number one thing that will change relationships across the board is the concept that we're gonna talk about here today. The number one thing that has the potential to change the trajectory of your marriage, of your relationship with your parents, of all your relationships, your relational quality in life, the number one factor that I spend all my time when people come to me with broken relationships, the number one thing that I try to convince them of is exactly what we're gonna talk about here today. And I'm telling you, this will change your family dynamics, this will change your friends, this will change our nation if people get this, this can change every relationship that exists if we all do this one thing. But the reason why I'm terrified is because this thing that we're gonna talk about, accepting blame, I realize is in a very emotionally charged topic. There's more than just surface level right here. Because when it comes to blame, 
and accepting my part in the blame. See, like last week we talked about how we shouldn't get even. We said we're, not, we're gonna come back to, not get back at you. Remember that. We're not gonna get even. We're not gonna be revenge. Okay, revenge, that's like, okay, that's easy to accept because we know always the bad guy in the movie, he's the revenge guy. Okay, the good guy's never revenge, so we know revenge is bad. But Father Anthony, now you're gonna start to talk like, uh, like some sensitive topics here. We're talking about what people did to me. And we're going to talk about how people stabbed me in the back. And you're going to start talking about my need to accept blame for it? So you know what, Father Anthony? You better bring a better, it's going to take more than that little intro joke to try to get me to accept my, some blame in this thing right here. So you better bring your A game today. Well, here goes my best attempt to try to convince you that there's some slice of this blame pie that you may need to accept as your own. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For your friend has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says, for your wife has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says that your boss has, has, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know who else says has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? The verse doesn't say anything that I just said. That's how we read it. The verse says, who has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? All. Raise your hands if you're part of all. Okay, very good. Thank you very much. Look, whenever there's conflict, whenever there's relational tension, I'm telling you, there's always, there's always a slice of the pie that goes to every person involved. Some may be bigger slices and some may be smaller slices. But unless your name is Jesus, or unless like when you're filling out the form for title, you put ST for saint, okay? Unless one of those two circumstances is you, then you get a slice of the pie as well. Again, maybe their slice is bigger. Maybe they're the majority of the pie. But what I'm saying is, is that they're probably is a small slice that belongs to you as well. And I gotta be honest right here. I'm speaking generalizing. So you may be outside of this, but generally speaking, we as a society and as a culture, we don't like to accept blame. We don't like to accept personal accountability is not something that is highly regarded and valued today in the world. What is highly valued is find someone else to blame and there's always someone else to blame. You go to the restaurant, you burn your mouth on the coffee, who's at fault? The restaurant who sold you the coffee, they made it too hot. You, um, uh, your kid fails math class, whose fault is it? The teachers, the counselor, the principal, the governor, the president, like you can go work your way all the way up the corporate ladder, okay? There's plenty of people to blame before you get to little junior who doesn't know how to read at age 12, okay? There's plenty of people to blame before then. How about this one? You smoke three packs of cigarettes a day for all your life. You get lung cancer. Whose fault is it? The cigarette company's fault. I'm telling you, true story, true story. The church I served at before this, okay, served at St. Mark's Church out in Fairfax. Big, huge parking lot. Huge parking lot. Probably 200 parking spots. Enormous parking lot. And then there were these light poles in the middle of the spots. The light poles, okay, huge things, concrete all around to bring light to the parking lot. Someone, parking lot was empty. There was probably like 10 cars. Someone pulled into the spot right in front of the light and they banged their car on the light. And they actually, I'm not joking about this. They came to me and said, you should put something around the light so people see it. I'm like, it's a big light. <laughs> the light is the thing. But that's how we are. That's how we're trained. That's how we are trained as a society. We're trained there's always someone to blame. It's always someone else's fault. The last person we look at is ourselves. I heard a story one time about a lady, a married woman who woke up in the morning. She had herself a cup of coffee 
and as she was drinking that coffee, it slipped out of her hand, it fell on the ground, it shattered, and it splashed coffee on her brand new white pants that she was wearing. She was wearing these new white pants, so, she was so happy, and it splashed on there, and her first thought, this is, her mouth, not mine, her first thought, this is all my husband's fault. <laughs> and she explains that in a split second, she did this in her head. What she said is, last night, my husband came home late, and because he came home late, we stayed up late, and because we stayed up late, I woke up tired. And because we woke up tired, I had to have a second cup of coffee. And it was the second cup is that broke. So it's all his fault that I spilled on my new white pants. In a millisecond, in a millisecond, she was able to blame her husband for her new white pants getting coffee on them. We stink at accountability. We stink at accepting blame and fault for ourselves. That's why our relationship hack for today if you want to improve your relationships, especially those ones that are broken, if you want to have no regrets in life, if you want to strive for reconciliation, if you want to be like your heavenly father, relationship hack number two is I will own my slice of the blame pie. I will own my slice of the blame pie. Say it with me. I will own my slice of the blame pie. Last week we talked about how we will come back to, not get back out. Come back to, not get back out. Well, the best way to start Coming back to a relationship is by owning my slice of the blame pie. We're going to look at a passage today from Scripture where Jesus institutes this principle, this important concept. And I'm telling you, right off the bat, as I said a minute ago, this is transformational. What we're going to talk about today, if we can do it. Like, I, don't, I always hesitate to say, I guarantee, because I don't want to say I guarantee, but I'm telling you, I guarantee that if you are willing to do this, and this is gonna be hard, but I guarantee you that it will have an impact and change the trajectory of all your relationships because it's that transformative. And because it's so transformative, Jesus gave us a very memorable analogy to show us about the power of accepting my slice of the blame pie. And it's actually a concept, like I know there's some people here who may have never read the Bible, Okay, but there's things that we hear about in our culture that just common knowledge that people don't realize actually comes from the Bible. And this is one of those things that even people who never read the Bible understand this. And before Jesus gives us the concept, he starts by asking a question to his disciples. And we here are his disciples. So we're going to have this as a discussion between Jesus and us. He's going to ask us the most annoying question that Jesus could ask. The most annoying question. So annoying, actually, let me go, I'll, I'll, let me say it as I, I want to say it. An insensitive question. An offensive question. Like if it was anyone else, Jesus gets a pass because he's Jesus, like son of God, water on, into wine, like he, he gets a pass. But if anyone else asked us the question that Jesus is about to ask us, we would be highly offended. And we would say insensitive and intolerant and doesn't understand. And we would say all kinds of stuff. But Jesus, look what he says. In a series, okay, he's about to say this to you. In a series, we're talking about relationships that are broken. Well, we're talking about heavy emotional stuff, frustrations, hurts, betrayals, okay, anger. In a series with all that, like that's the backdrop where Jesus comes to you and says, Matthew 7, 3. He says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Here we are, we're talking relationships. And we're bringing up stuff. And we remember what they did to us. 
We remember what she said about me. And we remember all that. And Jesus comes and says, my heart goes out to you. But why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? To which we would respond, are you kidding? Like, are you, are you joking, Jesus? Like, ha ha? Like, are you serious? Like, did you just show up on the scene, Jesus? Like, I thought you're supposed to be all-knowing, Jesus. I thought you're supposed to know what really actually happened here. Because if you did, if you actually knew, you wouldn't ask the question like this. So because you're Jesus, again, you get a pass, you're Jesus. But let me fill you in on what actually happened that maybe you were asleep or like parting the Red Sea or something like that that you happened to miss. Number one, my brother does not have a speck in their eye. My brother has something much bigger than a speck because my brother stinks. They're bad. They're no good. They talked bad about me. They ruined my career. They ruined my reputation. She stole my boyfriend. He got me in trouble with my wife. Like they're bad news, Jesus. So I get it like the whole like speck thing, but just, just to correct your analogy to be, you know, like I'm fact checking you, okay? My brother actually doesn't have a speck in their eye. They got something much bigger. And number two, since we're fact checking, I don't have a blank in my eye. You're way off on that one because I'm the good guy in the story. They're the bad guy, I'm the good guy. They're the plank, I'm the speck. I get it, like you, you deal with lots of people so you may have confused it. But let's get this straight, Jesus. They're the bad, I'm the good. They're the plank, I'm the speck. And even my speck, it's not even really, my speck is just a reaction to their plank. So if they didn't plank in the first place, I wouldn't have specked in the second place. But you know what? Just get the order right, Jesus. We good? Right, Jesus? We're good? And Jesus hears everything that you said and completely ignores you and goes on to verse 4. He says, how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. <laughs> Do you see what he's saying here? Saying, I just, I've got a question for you. I heard what you just said, but how is it you're so focused on what they did, you don't see what you did? Jesus is like, are you serious? Like now he's asking us, like, are you for real? Like, are you for real? Like you're focused on the speck, but you don't see the plank? Like all you're thinking is they're bad. If only they'd listen to me, I could fix them. That's what you're thinking. They're closed-minded. They don't listen. I'm willing to forgive. I'm open-minded. I'm willing to see things the right way, but they just don't. But you know what? If they would listen to me, I can fix them. That's what we think, right? Like all of us think that. We don't admit it, but we say that. And Jesus looks at us and says, you're not actually thinking that, are you? You're not actually thinking that like all the problem is them and nothing is you. Like, are you serious? To which we would respond, that's 100% what we're thinking. You nailed, you nailed it on the head there, Jesus. Because in our minds, they're stubborn. <laughs> in our minds, they're stubborn, they're closed-minded, they're not willing to see their own mistake. And Jesus is like, are you serious? That's why I like what he says right here. He says, how can you say, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, 
a plank is in your own eye. The word look right there, other translations would say like, and uh, look, uh, they'd say, let, let me remove the speck from your eye and behold, a plank is in your own eye. Meaning like, big news, surprise, shock. So let me show you like this, I, I would call it the 2022 version of how this verse would work. How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your own eye? And what do you know? And what do you know? A blank is in your own eye. And looky there. And how about that? That's what Jesus is saying is, how can you be so focused and so sure of their, they refuse to see their own fault. They refuse to take responsibility. They refuse to apologize. Unlike me. And looky there. You have a plank in your own eye. And then Jesus, as like I said, only Jesus could get away with being so offensive and no one actually got offended. You know why no one got offended with Jesus? Well, people did. But you know why we don't get offended when Jesus says it? Because we know he's 100% right. And Jesus then, based on this, based on how can you be so focused on they need to and you're not willing to see your own, he makes the logical conclusion from this. And he does it in one word. And this one word, I'm going to say it. And if, again, anyone other than Jesus said it. Offended. How could he? Doesn't he understand? But Jesus says it and he summarizes it all. And I know this word is a very emotionally charged word and it's a very offensive word, but Jesus summarizes it. If that's the case, you're focused on their fault, not your own. Willing to see their mistake, not willing to see your own. Hypocrite. Hypocrite. I'm not calling you a hypocrite. I ain't that dumb. But Jesus says, if you're only willing to see the faults of others and ignore your own, one plus one equal two. That's the definition of what a hypocrite is. I ain't the smartest person in the world, but there's one thing I've learned over the years as a priest. The hardest thing to do, the hardest thing to do is to convince someone to take responsibility for their part in a relationship problem. That's the hardest thing to do, is to convince someone that they have a piece of the blame, plot, blame pie that they need to take accountability of. I remember one time, a lady came to me, said, Father Anthony, you don't know me, I've met you a couple times, I live in Pennsylvania or whatever state, I'm gonna drive, I wanna come see you. I said, you know, we can do a phone call, whatever. She said, no, I wanna see you in person, it's very important. Come on over, happy to see you. I'm telling you, I'm not exaggerating. The lady spent 60 minutes, 60 minutes, tell me how bad her husband was. That was the whole purpose. And I had to cut her off at 60 minutes. Like I had to be like, I was playing like a little game of like, how long can she go without even me saying like, mm. like at that point, you know what I mean? Like at some point, you're, like how long is this going to go? Like if I stop breathing, like what? She just kept going. She just kept going 60 minutes to tell me how bad her husband and bashing her husband, her husband, her husband, her husband. So I responded the way I respond to anybody who comes to me with that. And I say, you know what? I don't even know your husband. There ain't nothing I can do about him. I can't control him and neither, obviously, neither can you. <laughs> but the one person that we have control over in this room is you. So I said, tell me your role. Tell me what you can do. Tell me your slice of the blame pie. You know what her response was? She's like, didn't you hear what I just said? And she repeated the whole story. <laughs> yeah, she repeated the whole story. Didn't you hear what I just said? Didn't you hear how bad he is? Didn't you hear what he'd done to me? She couldn't see past her own fault. She couldn't see past. And you know why she couldn't see? This is important. Listen, why couldn't she see clearly in this situation? Because she had a 
plank in her, oh sorry, a plank in her eye. Can you imagine if you had a big two by four sticking out your eye? It would be kind of hard to make out the little details. It would be hard to pass that little, that little chart like E, you know, seven, whatever it is on the eye doctor chart. If I had a big old plank sticking out my eye, and that's what this lady did. And maybe that's what we do too. So because this is an impossible task, I'm not going to even waste my time trying to convince you that you're wrong. I'm not going to waste one second trying to convince you that you have a slice of the blame pie. Instead, I'm going to ask you to do something. Just like I asked you to do last week, I'm going to ask you to say a prayer. And I'm going to put it up on the screen in a second, and I'm going to challenge you to say this prayer all week, every day this week. And as soon as I put it up on the screen, some of you are going to be tempted. Like, if you're mature, you have no problem with this prayer. If you truly want to follow Christ, you have no problem. Might just go out. There we go. If there's something, there's something in this prayer that bothers you. It may be saying something about what's inside you. You ready for the prayer? The prayer says this. It's Heavenly Father, show me where I'm at fault. After that, maybe I did respond fine, but maybe in the time since, I'm not acting the most godly. I'm not acting the most adult-like in the situation. God, Father, show me where I'm at fault. After Jesus calls them hypocrites, he gives them a promise. Matthew 7, 5. He says, look, first, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is a promise. And do you see the promise that he's offering us right here? We say about them, that person, they don't see the situation clearly. They don't understand what they did. They don't realize the impact. And what Jesus is saying is, is I agree, you know, they can't see it clearly because they got something in their eye. But you do too. And if you are willing to remove the plank from your eye, then and only then will you be in a position where you can see clearly. What he's saying is, I want you to be in a better position to help your relationship be in a better position. I want to put you in a better place so that you can see the situation as it really is and not with a big old plank in the middle of your eye. Now, at this point, I want to kind of pause the message right here, and I want to acknowledge what I guarantee many of you are thinking right there as you're listening, which is, as I'm saying, accept my slice of the blame pie, many of you are thinking, no, I don't want to. I don't need to. It's their fault. They should do it first. And as you are thinking that, and that's going on inside you, I just want you, like, I don't want to tell you you're wrong for thinking that, but I want you to ask yourself why. What is it inside you that makes you say that, especially so quickly? And I believe the answer is there's something inside you and me. It's inside all of us that we don't ever like to admit. I don't think anyone has ever come to me in confession and confessed what I'm about to show you right here, but I guarantee you it's inside all of us. And that is something called self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. <clears throat> Do you know what self-righteousness means? Self-righteousness means I'm right, everyone else is wrong. I see clearly, I know right and wrong, they're wrong, I'm right, case closed, glory be to God forever, amen. If you look in the New Testament, it was a group of people who were filled with self-righteousness. 
who were called the Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time. And Jesus gave them the business on more than one occasion. And Jesus, who was kind and compassionate and patient with all the sinners, when it came to these guys, Jesus, they really boiled his skin, boiled his blood, got under his skin, whatever the expression is. Why? Why the Pharisees bothered Jesus so much? Because they were bad? Because they were dumb? Because they were ignorant? No. Simply put, because they were always so sure that they were right. They walked around. Not my fault. Their fault. There's bad over there. Speck over there. Plank over there. It was always everyone else's fault. And whatever happened, they were always sure that it was never them. They were never wrong. They were always right. I don't need to listen. I don't need to think. All they could see was wrong, 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 wrong. And Jesus came to them and said, hey, you guys, you think you're so perfect. You think you're so good. You think you never make any mistakes. He said, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. To which everybody around, when Jesus said hypocrites, everybody around said, yes, thank you. Somebody finally put them in their place. Somebody showed them that they are hypocrites. They blame everybody else. They never look in the mirror and see any of their own mistakes. Thank you, Jesus. And here we are. And maybe the people in your life might be having the same feeling. Finally, someone told them. Finally, someone opened their eyes. <clears throat> Make go logic. I'm a logical human being. You are a human being, I'm a human being. Human beings make mistakes. Everyone agree with that. Any human being doesn't make mistakes. No, every human being makes mistakes. So that means you make mistakes. And my question for you is, if you know that you make mistakes, and you know that I, and I know I make mistakes, and everyone knows I make mistakes, when was the last time you apologized for a mistake? When was the last time you looked and saw a mistake of your own? Because if only you see other mistakes of others, then either you are perfect, or you are not admitting your own mistake. Like those are the only two options. Either you're perfect, probably not, if you think you are, ask your wife. Ask, our, ask my wife. She'd be happy to tell you as well. Okay, anyone's wife will happy to tell you. If you think you are perfect, or your husband, I didn't mean it, just both ways. Okay, right there. If you think you're perfect, or you're not admitting your mistake. So what I say is, if I know I'm going to make mistakes, then I might as well be proactive. I might as well look for them instead of waiting for them to hit me in the face. I might as well be, because that's what I've always believed, the healthiest people are not the people who make the least mistakes. The healthiest people are those who are the most self-aware, those who understand their mistakes and see their shortcomings and are willing to take ownership and admit them. You know why? Because here's a lesson of life. It's kind of long, but stick with it right here, and hopefully it helps you out. The more aware I am of what God has yet to do in me, the less aware I am and the less consumed I am by what he has yet to do in others around me. Say that one again. The more aware I am of what God has yet to do in me, the less aware I am and the less consumed I am by what he has yet to do in others around me. If you do what I do long enough and you listen to people long enough, what you will learn is that every story, I've heard every story. I've not only heard every story, I've heard every version of every story. I know you're hurt. I know your pain. I know their sin. Like, I get it. I get it. I've heard it. And that doesn't change what I'm about to say. What I'm trying to say is what I'm about to say is not based on the fact that I don't know what happened to you. And I don't know how bad it was. I get it. 
I know how, like I said, the emotions that are involved, the hurt, the pain, the, I get it, I get it, I get it. But that doesn't change the fact that reconciliation always begins with you. Reconciliation always begins with you. With me accepting my share of the blame pie, even if it's a small piece. And because, as I said before, you know why it begins with you? Because you're the better person. You know that, right? At least in the version of the story that you told me, you're the better person. You're the more mature. You're the one who is the more godly person. So you know what? That's why it begins with you. And because I'm about to show you up here on the screen, because you have access, because you're here in church today, you have access to the strongest weapon, the strongest power when it comes to relationships. You have access to it. And if you learn how to use it, you are an unstoppable force relationally. You know what that is? First Peter chapter five, verse five through six says, all of you be submissive to one another. All of you be submissive to one another. Submissive is where we don't like today. All of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Today, I am not challenging you to do something hard as much as I am inviting you to do something freeing. Today is an invitation to freedom from the relational weight that so many of us carry for so many years. And so we drag it on forever. What I'm telling you today is you can let go of it. And the path, the unstoppable force relational is humility. Humility can never lose. Humility will never lose. I played football when I was young. I don't know if anyone here played football when they were young, but one thing my coach used to always say, anyone who knows anything about football and one big guy against another, I was always kind of a little guy, okay? But he used to always talk about leverage. And the important thing of leverage is get low. He kept always saying, get low, get low. He would get, not get. Get low, get low. You got to get low. Everything was get low. And the low man wins. Not the strong man wins when it comes to football. It's not the strong one. Well, sometimes the one who, if it's very much stronger, but I'm saying in, in general, like, you're going to have a 200-pound guy against a 250-pound guy. The 200-pound guy can win if he gets underneath the other guy. Get low always wins. Get low always wins. It's a spiritual principle. Whoever gets low always wins. Even if the relationship isn't solved, even if the relationship is ne never reconciled, the one who gets low, get low, <clears throat> that's the one who always wins. You know why? Can I tell you why humility always wins? Because did you know that your humility, like, come on, we're followers of, our, of Jesus Christ who did so much for us. We, we, we're better than everyone. Like I said, we're the better person. Did you know that when you get low, you may unlock something, not just in yourself, but inside the other person? And I've seen it a million times. You may unlock something in that other person that, you know what? Let me tell you the truth. That other person may be weighed down with guilt and they know they're wrong. They know they're wrong, but they can't do anything about it because just like us, we were never trained relationally. They know they're wrong. They feel the guilt. They hate it, but they just don't know what to do. And then here you come, you get low and your humility and it may open the door for them to unload, for them 
to apologize. You don't know. You never know. But I'm telling you, never regret getting low comes to relationships. So let's recap. We've covered two relationship hacks so far. We've got two more to go. Relationship hack number one, read it with me. Number one says, I will come back to, not get back at. We talked about this last week. Retribution off the table. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So that's not on me. Whatever it was that happened, I'm not going to talk bad about them. I'm not going to try to get even. Okay, that's between them and God. I'm going to come back to, not get back at. And then number two, our hack that we discussed today, say it with me. Number two says, I will own my slice of the blame pie. No matter how small, no matter how seemingly insignificant, even if 95% is them, let's talk about the 5%. Let's admit it. Let's repent. Let's fix it. And let's give God a chance. Because reconciliation begins with us. It begins with me doing what I'm waiting for the other person to do. It begins with me accepting my slice of the pie, which is what I keep saying I'm waiting for them to do. But I'm not going to be a hypocrite. So I'm going to do it. I'm not going to wait for them. I'm going to lead by example. Because that's where true freedom comes from. Last thing and then I'm done. The temptation, when you listen to a message like today, you may be thinking it right now. The temptation some of you, I see it, taking good notes, thinking to yourself, I got to send this to so-and-so. Some of you are trying to think creatively. How can I get this into my mother's inbox? I get it. And I think Jesus gets it because he gets everything. And he just smiles with love, not judgment, with love. And says very simply, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? And you're not considered the plank in your own eye. Like, come on. You're better than that. I taught you better. You learned better. You tell your kids better. You're better. How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? You got a plank in your own. Like, you just, logic says you're not going to be very good at their speck with the plank thing coming out your own eye. So what I want you to do, because I love you, is first, remove the, remove the plank from your own eye. Come on, for my sake. Remove the plank from your own eye. And then, then you'll be able to see clearly to be able to remove the speck from their eye. And for those of you who say you're not willing, for those of you who say, I refuse to do what I'm asking them to do. I refuse to accept my slice of the pie until they accept their slice of the pie. And there's only one word to describe you. And it's the opposite of how you want to describe yourself. It's the one word that, like I said, we may consider, I, I, I did this sin, I did this sin. One, one word no one wants to call themselves, or be called, is a hypocrite. But there ain't no other option. If you refuse to do what you are waiting for them to do, that's what hypocrite means. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. This is our theme verse. I hope you memorize it by the end of this series. It says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. We're going to keep harping on this, as much as depends on you. In the end, we can't control all the factors, but we can control as much as depends on you. Number one, we will come back to, we will not get back at. Number two, I will own my slice of the blame pie. And I'm telling you, 
imagine the possibilities. Imagine the possibilities. If everyone owned their slice of the blame pot, imagine the dynamics at home. If everyone was able to say, you're right, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Imagine what your friends would look like if everyone could say, you know what? That's right. I shouldn't have said that. That was dumb. That was insensitive. You're right. Imagine what Washington, D.C. would look like if people could say, great point. I was wrong. You were right. Shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have raised my voice. Imagine what your next confession would look like. You guys remember confession, right? You guys remember what that looks like, this thing we read about in the Orthodox Church. I realize not everyone here is Orthodox, but if you are Orthodox, you realize confession is one of the things that you say is one of the most important things that we have. You remember how that goes, right? Well, imagine what your next, imagine the frequency of your next or confession, and imagine how the words that come out of your mouth during confession. If you accepted your slice of the blame pie, like I'm telling you, this is a game changer. This is a game changer. If we all stop pointing fingers and we look in the mirror, we own our slice of the pie. So this week, our prayer, our prayer is going to be, Heavenly Father, show me where I'm at fault. I already know where they're at fault. We've been over that many times. But Heavenly Father, open my eyes to see my slice of the blame pie. And relationship hack number three, hopefully you'll be back next week to discuss that. Let's stand up for our prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for shaking us today with this message. We know, Lord, it's a message of love that you have for us and a desire to unleash the power of humility in our lives and our relationships. Give us the courage and the strength to say this prayer and sincerely say it, Lord, and to accept our slice of the blame pie and to stop waiting for the other person to do that which we are unwilling to do ourselves. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord.